Aloha, you're listening to the NBA Big Board on the eve, or on the evening of the NBA trade deadline. It's over. I'm with Rafael Barlow. We've got a lot to talk about. It's going to be a big breakdown of how this trade deadline affected the 2022 NBA draft. Let's roll. All right, and I'm with Rafael Barlow, and I normally say draft junkies, Rafael Barlow, uh, but if you've been following along on my newsletter, you know that on Wednesday we announced that Rafael Barlow's joining me over on the NBA Big Board newsletter as a full partner and is going to debut his first column actually on Monday. Welcome to not only the podcast, Rafael, where you've been a longtime guest, but welcome to the NBA Big Board newsletter. Yeah, thank you so much for the, the opportunity. I was still kind of in shock when you had called me and, and, and mentioned that you wanted to partner with me. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And, you know, it's kind of big, big shoes to fill in a sense because you have such a, a, a loyal fan base. And so a new voice is, is, is different. You know, some people, you know, want, want to hear, hear you all the time, but hopefully I can... Uh, I can uh, bring something uh, a little different that's also entertaining for them. Based on the feedback that we got on Twitter, it seemed like people were really excited uh, to have you uh, joining uh, the big board. And if, if you're a longtime listener and you haven't gone over to nbabigboard.com, that's my Substack newsletter uh, that uh, comes out multiple times a week. And uh, Raphael is, like I said, going to be a full partner. So you're going to see several posts a week from Raphael. Uh, Raphael, we talked about this, going to be doing a lot of video video work, which is something that we've sort of lacked uh, on the uh, on the newsletter in the past. A lot of scouting stuff. Of course, Raphael, if you know, if you've listened to the show, uh, is an expert in international prospects and has actually been living overseas in Paris uh, this season. And, but it's not just going to be international guys. We're going to do a lot of cool stuff together, and he's going to a lot of do, do a lot of cool stuff solo as well. And uh, I'm just so excited to have a full partner on this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I already started making videos for for uh, the the first piece that I'll do on Monday. So I'm already looking forward. Like I said, I've been cutting up videos and just I was up like four o'clock in the morning thinking of ways that I can be creative but fun, but at the same time informal and you know, just bring like I said, bring something a little bit a bit different. So again, I'm thankful for this opportunity. All right, so if you're not a subscriber, go over to nbabigboard.com, subscribe today. You'll get Raphael's first post in your email on Monday, as well as uh, lots of other stuff. Uh, Raphael's got a mock draft coming out. I'm going to have a mock draft coming out soon. Obviously, some big changes. We'll talk about some of that today on the podcast. We had a big trade deadline. I mean, sometimes trade deadlines are duds. Sometimes they're on fire. This trade deadline was just absolutely on fire. There was big deals. There was lots of deals. And our job today, especially for those people that are really interested in the draft, is to think about how a lot of those deals affect the NBA draft. But we're going to start with a deal that has a minor impact in the 2020 draft, but was by far the biggest deal of the day. And that's James Harden being traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons comes back. Seth Curry comes back. Andre Drummond comes back. And the Nets, who traded away a gazillion first-round picks to get James Harden from the Houston Rockets, pick up the 76ers' 2022 first-round pick. They can actually defer the pick to 2023 if they want to. 
But it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out and what the Nets decide whether to game it this year or next year. Right now, it sets it like the 24th pick uh, in the draft right now or whether they're going to push it back. But let's let's start, Raphael, with your initial reaction. Who won this trade, the Nets or the 76ers? I think the 76ers won it. I think that I mean, Embiid is playing great basketball. I think Harden is totally fine with being Embiid's sidekick. And it just seemed like they had a lot of issues going on in Brooklyn behind the scenes. And it's weird. Everything just seemed to come up within the last two weeks as we got closer to the deadline. I think with the Nets, if everything plays out, I mean, if Kyrie plays, if he comes a full-time player and Ben is in shape, then they'll be intriguing. But at the same time, you have two guys that people have questioned whether or not they really love basketball with Kyrie and, and Ben Simmons playing with somebody that eats, eats, sleeps, and breathes basketball and Kevin Durant. So I'm curious to see how the, the personalities work there. But I think Philly, I think they gave up a lot. I was shocked to see the two first-round picks. But I think short term, I think they should be they should be a lot better. It's really interesting because I, I think the holdup for the last week on this deal has been Tyrese Maxey, uh, who's been playing so well for Philadelphia. They were able to keep him. Uh, then it went to Matisse Dybul, uh, who I think the, the, the Nets would have also liked to have gotten out of this deal. Uh, the Sixers hold on to them. I think that's that's part of the win for the 76ers is that they didn't have to give up either of those guys, those young players who I think are really important to them and provide some insurance for a 32-year-old James Harden who has had a history of injuries, has had a history of conditioning issues. And for all that you want to say about, well, Ben Simmons doesn't love playing basketball, um, we've seen James Harden give up. Uh, at, at times on the court too, when things aren't going his way, and and certainly give up on now two teams uh, that uh, I think raise questions as well about you know what are you actually getting um, in return. the The cap part of me says, okay, this is a disaster for Philadelphia because they're going to have to sign James Harden at the age of thirty three to a long term deal that will likely look as bad or worse than the Russell Westbrook deal looks right now down the road. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine that James Harden is going to be, you know, super productive at, you know, 36, 37, 38 years old. Uh, maybe he is because he doesn't rely c- uh, so much on his athleticism as someone like Russell Westbrook or John Wall did, uh, you know, for example. Um, but there's also been a history of injuries and conditioning and other stuff that make me wonder. So the, so the window is narrow for Philadelphia, well, right? Harden's injuries... He's been one of the healthiest guys until last year with the with the hamstring. But before yeah. that, I feel like in Houston he he didn't yeah. miss games. So I think that's. But there, there's some concern out there in the league about that hamstring and and yeah, whether I, that's going to become a chronic issue. Yeah, I think he he definitely did some damage to it by trying to play in the playoffs last year, and even this year it looked like he had lost a step. But then he had like a week or two where it looked like he was you know, getting getting back. But I think Harden will be better at a later age than Westbrook and Wall because, like you said, he, he doesn't rely on athleticism. And he is a very good catch-and-shoot sniper when he doesn't have the ball. He doesn't get a lot of opportunities where he's in catch-and-shoot situations, but when he is in those situations, he can knock them down. 
And I even think like this year, once MB gets the ball in the post, if they can get some situations where their MB kicks it out and they swing and he'll get some open looks, then I think he'll be able to knock those down. So I think it's not as bad. It was good for Philly that he opted in for for next season at like $47 million. And then they'll have a, an off season, uh, another year or so to see what how he looks, so they can determine if they want to offer him that that big deal. So, I think that was helpful that he did opt in. Andre Drummond uh, is is somewhat of an interesting piece in this deal, in part because it's not like Joel Embiid doesn't have a history of injuries. Um, as well, and they probably had the best backup center on a minimum contract of of any team in the league with Andre Drummond this year. He's gone. That leaves the Sixers a little bit vulnerable now if 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 something were to happen uh, to to Embiid, uh, which was I think part of the rationale of bringing in Andre Drummond. Also, I think that Drummond ends up being sort of a nice piece for the Nets as well. I mean, one of the interesting things about the Nets is forget about Ben Simmons for a minute, Seth Curry bringing in shooting, Andre Drummond uh, bringing, you know, a, a presence in the middle that I think that's been one of the question marks for the for the Nets throughout the, the entire season. But let's talk about Ben Simmons for a minute because him as a small ball five with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, I, I love that team. Uh, and, you know, Seth Curry, uh, you know, sniping away as well. I, I really love that team. So the question is, are we going to get all-star Ben Simmons? Are we going to get the Philadelphia 76er or the, the, uh, the 76er playoff Ben Simmons uh, that got him in all of this trouble in the first place in, in the game against the Atlanta Hawks? A- and it was really interesting to watch ESPN and hear Ramona uh, Shelburne sort of talking about this. Ben's excited to be there. He's not quite ready to go. There's going to be a process to get there. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wondering, you know, all the red flags start to come up. What does that look like? Uh, in he what ways is he, isn't he ready? He's ready tomorrow. Because <laughs> then it's like, you know, like what, what issue did you, did you have? So, and then I, I you know, I don't know. I think he can be because I think he can just say that was a toxic environment for him. And he's out of that toxic environment now. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, what's going to happen, uh, right? If he if he does that, um, I, I think he could opt out. I mean, maybe there's other stuff going on, but he's 25 years old, and this is one of the things that I feel like we've been too hard on Ben Simmons. Uh, ben Simmons has weaknesses. Uh, there's significant weaknesses. He has not learned how to shoot the basketball. His confidence waned significantly in the playoffs. Um, he obviously passed up a essentially wide open layup uh, in, in a game that was really critical. But this is a guy who's made multiple all-star teams as one of the best defenders in the league, runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year. He's 25 years old. If he can get things right, if the Nets can get things right with him, this extends that run uh, for Brooklyn, I, I, I think. And, and one of the reasons that I like this deal, it is a big risk because we don't know how much of this Ben Simmons stuff is was a ploy to get out of Philadelphia versus, okay, there's significant serious issues here um, that he's continuing to address. My guess is the Nets had to have done their homework on this before they made this deal. Um, and, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down and say, I think the Nets, I'm going to predict that the Nets ultimately win this deal and that we'll look back on this historically and say this was a good deal for Brooklyn 
and not quite as good deal for Philly. Because the only way to me that this deal is good for Philly is if they win an NBA championship with James Harden. That, that that's that's it. That's the only window. And we know there's a million reasons that sometimes even the best team in the NBA doesn't win the the NBA championship that that year. So that's their only outcome where this deal works for Philadelphia. And I I I'm gonna bet I'm gonna hedge against it. Well, I that think they're the NBA the champions. Way. I think it's the same way with the Nets. I mean, if they have to win a championship in order for this deal to work out, I'm not a Ben Simmons supporter. I can be really harsh on him. And the reason I'm so harsh on Ben Simmons is because I don't think that he's done anything to improve his game. Everything that he has is just natural God-given talent. And if he lacks confidence, it's almost like me not studying for a test. And I don't, I'm not confident because I didn't study for it. Like he has not, it doesn't even look like he's attempted to work on his shooting. And he strikes me as a guy that everything has come so easy to him. And that when people are telling him like, this is what you need to do. It's almost like, well, no, I can prove to you that I could be an all-star without it. And my concern is when I watched him in 2019, when he had Jimmy Butler on the team, and when he didn't have the ball, he just stood at the dunker spot. And there were times where he may have had Kyle Lowry on him or Van Fleet, and he didn't even duck in. He just kind of stood there. And so I wonder how does he play? I think they're going to be fine in the regular season. But in the playoffs, is he going to be active off the ball? If Kyrie has the ball and Kyrie's you know, dancing and doing what he does, is Ben just going to stand there? I think in transition, that'll be great. But it's, it's the playoffs where Ben Simmons concerns me because that's when his lack of confidence really stands out. And then teams also have you know, plenty of time, weeks in advance, in some senses, to really game plan for him. And I think like it's a, it's a big risk for both teams. It could really end up imploding. <laughs> Like, if you told me that the Nets imploded this season, because Kyrie is, is – I don't think he's under contract next year. And I think they decided not to offer him an extension after the whole situation where he chose not to get vaccinated. I mean, that could be really bad. And then, you know, if Philly could have – worst-case scenario, they could have both of their guys not 100% or it's – I think both teams are in the same situation. But wouldn't it be great for the NBA if they meet in the playoffs? Oh, I, I think we're all praying for that. And that would maybe be the and, and everybody healthy, uh, everybody on the court to see ultimately how that that plays out, because a very healthy Philly team and a healthy Nets team that included a healthy Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, there's a really great debate that you can make about which team wins wins well, that seven game series. The Philly, because Kyrie can't play at home. And then you imagine the Philly crowd in the playoffs with Ben Simmons. <laughs> so I would think that edge would go to Philly. I'm ho- I'm 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 guessing that maybe there's going to be some some changes in pandemic um, policy by then. Uh, maybe maybe not. Uh, we'll see. Um, uh, really really interesting uh, interesting to break down. I, I've always probably been a guy that airs a little bit more on people are too hard on Ben Simmons. It's hard for me to say that a guy who is the runner up for defensive player of the year hasn't improved his game since he came out of college. Um, that because I think we so focus on the offensive end of the game 
that we don't say that playing defense at the level that Ben Simmons plays defense at is also a skill. Um, also requires improvement that he wasn't that good as a rookie as, as to the point that he is now on the defensive end. And, and this is again where I feel like analysis gets skewed because James Harden is one of the worst defenders in the league, but he's so great on offense. We don't really talk about it. We talk about his offense. And then when we get to Ben Simmons, he's, he's so weak as a shooter. The, the initial discussion is all about the fact that he can't shoot and what is, what sort of offense he's going to run. And we, we almost don't even talk about the fact that this maybe next to Rudy is the best defender in the NBA. And, and so I, I think those things matter. And in these discussions, in these discussions, this is what you hear all the time. Harden, man, such a great offensive player. Oh yeah, yeah, he can't play defense. Simmons, terrible offensive player. Oh yeah, he plays a he plays some he plays pretty good defense. Well, I mean, as great of defense as Ben Simmons played in the playoffs last year, at the end of the day, it was an offensive play that changed everything. It was his lack of effort on offense. So of course, you know he. I mean, he played great defense on Trey Young, but the thing about Trey is that he's going to get up enough shots to where he's still going to going to get his numbers. And then I think if you're not playing offense, it ends up being four and five in the playoffs. And I just think it's really hard for a team in today's NBA to overcome a very reluctant shooter, someone that doesn't have confidence. So, well, with with Seth Curry, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant on on this roster. Um, I, I don't. I don't think they're going to lack in guys that are going to be really comfortable shooting the basketball and uh, and getting it done. And, and, and in ways that I think they're they're better suited to handle Ben Simmons than maybe even the Philadelphia team was, just by the way the team itself was sort of constructed. So, um, it's an interesting point, Raphael. I, I will will come back and have this discussion again. In the if the if the Nets and Sixers uh, make the playoffs, I'm going to go Nets. He's going to go Sixers, uh, and. That's the big trade. I mean, that was by far the biggest trade. The other big trade today on Thursday was obviously Kristaps Porzingis. Um, but it's 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 the opposite of a competitive deal. This is Dallas thinking about the future with Luka Doncic, and who knows what the Wizards are doing or thinking. Bradley Beal's out with an injury now, and they're they're trying to go forward. But this was one of those deals where it's hard to analyze in part because I don't think either team made this for really basketball reasons. This is all about setting up future roster flexibility uh, that, you know, down the road. And, and so I, I think the thing that's shocking and, you know, Raphael, you're an international guru is where we saw Kristaps Porzingis coming in. And, and I loved him, by the way, I, I really thought uh, he was going to be a special, special NBA player and where he started with the Knicks, where it looked like maybe that was going to be the case, and and where we are now um, with Porzingis, with Dallas essentially just taking on Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans to to get off money. Yeah, I thought you were going to say the two Latvians in the NBA got traded. Oh yeah, two Latvians got traded for each other as well. Yeah. That's big. That's big news. Yeah, I mean, I think when Porzingis is healthy, I thought he was good this year. The problem is he hasn't been healthy, and it just seems like he's good for. Four games, miss five. Play three, miss four. And I, I was shocked. To me, that was the most shocking trade. One, I didn't think he'd have a lot of value, so I thought he'd be in a situation where he is kind of stuck in Dallas by default. And then when I saw it, I was just kind of stunned. I think Bertans, he might have the worst contract in the NBA. 
I mean, I forgot what he signed for, like, $80 million. He's only shooting, like, 31% from three. If I saw correctly, he's averaging, like, five a game. But he's in Washington, so nobody cares. But um, I think he'll, the numbers are definitely improved with playing with, with Luba. He'll get a lot of open looks there. The Dinwiddie fit is interesting there, unless he if he agrees to be, like, a six-man and they just kind of run everything through him with the second unit. I think that could be – pretty interesting fit there um but yeah i mean i'm just I, to me that was like like i said that was the biggest shocking trade to me i would have never thought that that dallas would move porzingis or get anything of value for him but then i'm curious to see like how does that trade start like do you go through every single team in the league and you finally get to washington and say and davis bertans yeah <laughs> yeah i guess so but, I actually thought when I saw the trade, I said, okay, you keep hearing the 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 mumbles that the Knicks really want Jalen Brunson. So I thought, okay, maybe this is going to open the door for some type of Jalen Brunson package for Julius Randle and some type of way that they can make it work out. And it, it didn't unless we hear about something at the, at, the, at the very last minute that we went through. But now Dallas just seems kind of thin on the front line. But then again, you can say Porzingis wasn't really playing a lot anyway. So I'm curious to see how, how it all plays out. All right. You listen to this podcast primarily because you want to talk about the draft. And, and there's some big draft news with the Blazers, uh, with the Pacers, uh, especially those two teams uh, going all in. So we're going to talk uh, about our sponsor, Rock Auto, uh, first. And then we're going to dive right into those. Rock Auto um, is... At, a great auto company, auto parts company with ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts for a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for 20 years. They have everything you can need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, thanks to Rock Auto for supporting. NBA Big Board Podcast. Let's talk about the Blazers. My team. I'm a Blazers that's fan. Your t- that's Raphael's team. They wiped this team out. And and they still beat the Lakers, uh, by the way, uh, which, is, which is amazing. CJ McCollum, obviously the biggest guy and piece uh, to move. Uh, but they, they, they moved Robert Covington. Uh, they knew, uh, removed uh, Norm Powell. And all of this is sort of setting up two really interesting or three really interesting things. One, it looks like the Blazers for the rest of the season are going to be in competition for a top five pick in the draft. That's their own pick. Um, number two, the Blazers pick up a pick. Uh, and so this is also, you know, interesting uh, as well when you think about the fact that now the Blazers are erring on the side of getting a second 
uh, first round pick. So the, the the first one is their own. And then the second one via the New Orleans Pelicans is part of the CJ McCollum deal. It's an interesting pick because it's protected five to 14. So if it's one through four, Pelicans keep it. Pelicans would obviously love that outcome, but are trying to make the play-in game right now, which is what I think they, they hope is going to happen. The Hornets get the pick if it's 15-30. So it, it is a little bit edgy um, in, in this draft because it could be the case that the addition of C.J. McCollum and maybe if Zion ends up coming back and, and being healthy, that this pick actually ends up going to, going to Charlotte. But right now, I'd say the odds are probably that this pick is somewhere between 10 and 14 and ends up with the Blazers with two first uh, lottery picks um, in this draft. So that's that's one aspect of all of this. And, and, and they picked up Keon Johnson, a guy that was actually ranked in our lottery for much of the year uh, before falling uh, into into the 20s uh, on draft night. Uh, so they got another young player. They got Greg Brown on this team. Damian Lillard wasn't traded at the deadline. On the outside, this looks like a completely youth rebuild, rebuilding, re- rebuilding team right now. But the Blazers also did set themselves up for flexibility. Those those young picks and other things could be assets. This could be something this summer or after the season that they try to go and build a contender around Damian Lillard. I agree with what the Blazers did here. They gave themselves maximum flexibility. I think they can figure out this summer is do we build a team around Lillard? Is is he committed to that? Do we trade Lillard and and do a complete rebuild right now? Uh what did you think about these deals, the rebuilding process in Portland? And then I'm going to put you on the spot. Who are your favorite draft prospects in the lottery to end up in Portland? Well, what I wanted to see happen was I'm, I'm a big fan of Damian CJ. What I was hoping was they keep both of them. Somehow they, even though I'm totally against the whole tanking thing, but they, neither one of those guys play. They, they're bad. They get lucky, get one of the top tier guys in the lottery, and then you could have Dame, CJ, or Bancaro, Holmgren, or, or Smith, along with Nurk. Obviously, they <laughs> didn't like their chances for that. So um, I like what actually was interesting is I, I thought Greg Brown was going to be their starting four, and I had tweeted who's going to start at the four for the Blazers, but it looked like it was Justice Winslow. But it's very interesting that Greg Brown, if he is the guy that's going to start at the four, actually played very well last night, <laughs> better than I've seen him play at Texas. And if he's the four for the remainder of the season, then it's almost like they're hoping that he helps them land his replacement in Ben Carroll or Chet or, or Jabari. Almost similar to when Dennis Smith was the match point guard that year, he put up numbers that got the fans excited, helped them lose enough games, and he was out of there a year later because he helped him get his replacement. But I would like to see the Blazers. Okay, first, if they get the number one pick, who would you have the Blazers take if it was the number one pick? You know, what makes that interesting is you have two guys with ties to the Pacific Northwest. Van Carroll's from Seattle. Chet's obviously going to school in that area. So I think it would be between those two. I would go... I think for the Blazers, I would go Ben Carroll because for Damian Lillard's timeline, I think he may be the most NBA ready. So I, that's what I would I would go with. But then again, it it just depends. Like if, if you see Chet as a five or a four, but 
I would go with Ben Carroll with if they get into that top tier. That'll be really interesting because the knock on the Blazers is that they've lacked elite athleticism up front. Um, what is interesting now, the two guys that they they have from the 2021 draft, now Greg Brown and and Keon Johnson were probably the two best athletes in the draft. So they 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 they, they have, but but whether they can play basketball is another question. Uh, you know, and and so that's really interesting to have them taking Boncaro, which obviously provides offensive firepower right away. I agree with you. I think he's the most NBA ready uh, of the prospects that the, that are at the top of the draft, but does put them back in a situation again with the one reason that Boncaro may not go one is that his defensive versatility, he's not a bad athlete by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not an elite athlete um, either. That, that, that would be really interesting if they end up digging themselves right back in the spot. And, and I think to your point, maybe some of it's going to be based off of, do we think we have Lillard or not? If we think we have Lillard, then it makes a lot of sense to bring in a guy who we think can help us right now, even though rookies don't help that much. Evan, Evan Mobley's changing and Scotty Barnes are changing some of that those sort of metrics. Uh, or if we think we're going to lose him, then we go with a guy with the purest upside and, and we take you know Jabari Smith or Jaden Ivey or what have you. Okay, give me a guy 5 to 10. That's the most likely scenario that they're going to have a pick kind of between 5 and 10. Who would be your guy in Portland in that range? Uh, for well, the I wanted to add that if they are going to lose Lillard, then you can almost guarantee you they're going to get another pick in that situation. So they could possibly work out some type of deal where they have three first-round picks, similar to what the, the Grizzlies have. Um, from five to ten, just the way the roster is built now, like I, I thought like if they would have kept CJ, then having like another athletic ball mover, even though I don't know how ready he would have been, but I, I would like Kendall Brown, simply because he is someone that will provide athleticism. I think that he should be able to defend – you know, the threes and the fourth, and he is a ball mover, but he would be a reluctant shooter that in the playoffs that could really, like, really hurt them in that situation. Um, if they decide to move on from Nurkic, then Duren would, would be an option there. Um, Jaden Ivey, even though I think that he has his best advantage if you play him at the point, I think that he probably is someone that, if, if Lillard is not there, then I would go with Jaden Ivey at the point. You have the time to develop him into a – hopefully he turns into like this downhill – he's not the passer, the same passer as John Morant, but someone that can just put tremendous pressure on, on defenses. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think. Who else would I think? Like you said, it just really depends on if Lillard is there. If Lillard is there, then I could see them leaning towards someone that, you know, maybe like a Keegan Murray, who they think could come mm -hmm. in and play right away. Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis, yes, yeah, someone along along those lines. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I like Kendall Brown there. I actually, I, I, again, you know, Kendall Brown is not putting up huge stats, but to me, he so passes the eye test every time I see him in Baylor. And, and what he's going to be able to do in the NBA. And the reluctant shooter part is definitely a question mark that's out there. Um, but, man, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big, big Kendall Brown fan. I don't think Jaden Ivey is going to last to five. I, I don't – I just don't – I don't think he – I think he's going to end up surprising people and going, going higher than that. Uh, but really interesting discussion to have 
around Portland and and who their guy ultimately is is going to be there. But like like we said, the the most likely scenario now is they're going to have a pick probably in like the five to seven range, and then another pick in that like ten to fourteen range right now, barring a win in the lottery. Which you know, if they're at five, they've got a decent shot of of getting uh, of getting the lottery pick, and and that goes things. If if I were to, if I were to give them the number one pick, uh, I, I'm I'm going to pick Jabari Jabari Smith in almost every scenario. So uh, I'll, I'll give him Jabari Smith um, as well. Okay, that's what the Blazers. Quick question. What do you think of – remember, even though I don't think Kendall Brown is the same point forward as Scotty Barnes, but that was the knock on Scotty last year was he was such a reluctant shooter and he didn't shoot. And he's played with a whole lot more confidence on the offensive end as far as shooting the ball in Toronto than he showed at Florida State. And I'm wondering if that could be a situation with Kendall Brown. But what makes the Blazers situation so interesting is they're one of the, if I'm not mistaken, one of only two teams that doesn't have a G League team. So, you know, it's like they may not swing for the fences on somebody that needs, like, for example, like a, a Shade and Sharp, who may, we don't really know what he can do at, at this point. But if they had a G League team, even like a Keon Johnson, that that they could have total control of developing. So I think that that makes whatever the Blazers do a little bit interesting. Yeah, Shaden Sharp. We forgot about Shaden Sharp. Some question whether he'll be in the draft or not. Uh, John Calipari kind of made a statement on Monday that sounded like he won't be, but then kind of walked it back a little bit uh, over the next couple of days. So it'll be really interesting. He would be very intriguing there as well as you're talking about long term development and ceiling Shaden Sharp would would definitely be a guy that I think would be in the mix there at the fifth pick uh, in the draft if if that's where the Blazers are at okay that's that's Portland we're going to talk about Bilt Bar and then when we come back we're going to talk about the Indiana Pacers and then the rest of the deals that 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 went down but I want to I want to talk about our long-term sponsor Raphael knows them well Bilt Bar it's the new year so that means new year's resolutions and it's about getting fit or eating healthier make sure you include Bilt Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill, you want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By like week three, you may be thinking, this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are 100% covered in real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Pair that with a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, dozens of net carbs. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And there's so many delicious flavors to come from. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, many more. That built built bar is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out built.com often to see what's new. Go to built.com, use your promo code and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, Built Bar. Raphael was a fan. We were on our our uh, draft night special. He was loading up on Built Bars. Let's talk about Indiana. 
Rick Carlisle comes in to coach this team. They approach the draft. They draft Chris Duarte, the oldest player in the draft, in part because they had hoped that he would come in and push them into the playoff picture. Injuries, lots of other factors have have really made that not possible. The Pacers also do a huge overhaul. Uh, they, they trade DeMontis Sabonis. Karis Levert is out. Uh, they bring back Tyrese Halliburton, who was number four on my board in the 2020 draft. And I still actually feel very good um, about that placement there. So I, I really loved I really loved that deal. I was actually shocked the Kings gave him up. Uh, I've been proposing Davian Mitchell deals uh, for Sabonis along with draft picks and Bagley and what have you. But they, they get back Tyrese Halliburton, which I just think is a huge, huge steal for Indiana. Uh, and, and they get the Cavs pick. Uh, for the Karis Levert deal, which will probably be somewhere in the late teens, early 20s, uh, come come draft night as well. And the Pacers sort of set themselves up, maybe not as bad as the Blazers, but they set themselves up that also having a high pick um, in the draft. I actually think Tyrese Halliburton's good enough that he'll probably come in and and maybe they won't bleed as bad as 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 we're probably going to see the Blazers be bleeding um, the rest the rest of the year. But so Indiana ends up five. You know, again, five to like eight, you know, pick, and then they'll have another pick um, in the twenties. So, uh, what did you think about Indiana's deals? And then I'm going to put you back on the spot. Indiana gets the number one pick. What do they do with it? Yeah, Indiana's interesting simply because with Carlisle, he he's not known for being patient with with young guys. And you know, we when Duarte was drafted, we just knew like that's for Rick Carlisle. And so to see them go young and and do like a full rebuild, especially if they move Brogdon this summer and healed, then they could probably end up with more picks. It'd be interesting to see if Carlisle is in, is in it for such a, a long rebuild because. But he does get Tyrese Halliburton, who if you're a coach that's impatient with rookies, Tyrese Halliburton doesn't play like a rookie. Yeah. Um, yeah and, that, uh, and the rave about him, a culture guy, a number of other things. That that part is going to go well, I think, for Indiana. Yeah, I, I think so. Only thing I, I wonder is if they decide to keep Brogdon, then who, with with your backcourt, you're not getting a lot of rim pressure with, with that particular backcourt. Yeah, my my guess is that Brogdon's gone. Um, they couldn't trade him now because of his contract and, and and the way his contract was structured. He wasn't really available to be traded uh, at the trade deadline. But I, I expect that we'll see Indiana pretty active this offseason in, in moving in moving Brogdon and seeing what they can get back for them. So assume Brogdon's gone. I'm just going to go ahead and have you assume Brogdon's gone. You know, this team is going to have Miles Turner, who it seems like he's only 25 years old, who I think they still want to keep. Isaiah Jackson, who's actually looked pretty good. Uh, that was their other uh, first-round pick uh, in the 2021 draft. Duarte's played great. He plays like a veteran. He is a, by age, he is almost an NBA veteran. Uh, and and Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> yeah. And, and Ty- Tyrese Halliburton, who's really been terrific this season uh, for Sacramento. One of the few bright spots really coming out of Sacramento right now. Got the number one pick in the draft. Who do you add to that mix? I'd go with if one, it kind of depends on what they think of Turner. Is Turner their long-term guy or are they going to move him? And then Isaiah Jackson is, is your guy. So I think that I would probably go with 
I think I would go with Chet. I, I would go with Chet number one if, if I'm the Pacers. Uh, I think again, I, I'm going to be pretty consistent with Jabari Smith. I could see Jabari Smith and Miles Turner uh, together on that team, but this is the one team, and I don't know if Kevin Pritchard would do it because it may just not make sense at number one. But this is a team where I could see Jaden Ivey yeah. being an hometown intriguing guy. Uh, yeah. hometown guy, intriguing guy. I like him in a backcourt with Tyrese Halliburton together. I, I could see that being a, a really awesome long term pitch for them, and and Pritchard who has prided himself historically in being able to pick out point guards and being a guard guy, um, swinging for the fences because Ivy's ceiling is so high. And if you haven't been watching him, even this season, improve at Purdue and get more comfortable as a playmaker, which you're seeing that unfold there, the confidence in his jump shot, which wasn't necessarily there as a freshman and what have you, uh, and and the, the elite, elite athleticism, uh, that and that he motor energy all of that. motor yeah drive uh, you know all of that he looks to me and by the way he's only like two months older than Chet uh, so this isn't like you're drafting an old 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 guy here I, I could I could see the argument for for Jaden Ivey in, in Indiana well if that's the case then I mean I think if you have the number one pick you can trade down to four with somebody, pick up another asset, and then pick him up. I think it would be good for, you know, just the whole rebuild because, again, you got to – even though it's not necessarily, like, local in the same city, but he's from the state. There's a lot of Purdue fans in Indianapolis. So I think that would that would definitely make a lot of sense there. I'm going to make a crazy prediction right now. Uh, I've been wrong before, so people can clip this out and, and bring it back in my face and say, oh, look, Chad was really wrong again. Uh, it's a gut thing because I can't really tell you right now in talking to teams, one who is going to have the first two picks in the draft or, or what they're going to do with them or whatever. But my prediction uh, is that Jabari and Jaden are the first two picks off the board on draft night. That's where I think it's going to be. I think it's going to look like the Zion jaw draft draft with Chet and Paolo being the next group. And then, and then, you know, after that, you know, Shaden Sharp, AJ Griffin, Kendall Brown, uh, you know, there'll be Johnny Davis. There'll be a number of sort of people there, whatever that I'm not saying that every team is there or scouts there yet, but I, I Jaden Ivy in NBA space with his athlete, elite athletic ability Jabari Smith's upside and his shooting ability and with his athletic ability at those sides, I think at the end of the day, those trump what people see with Holmgren, who's been incredible, by the way, especially in WCCC play. But a lot of questions about how you fit Chet. What do you do with Chet? Like, what position does he play in the NBA? Questions about Boncaro's ultimate upside, especially as a two-way player. That's just my that's just my guess reading the tea leaves right now. I could be completely wrong, but I'm going to go ahead and make the prediction here in February that Jabari goes one, Jaden Ivey goes two, even not knowing which teams are drafting. So, in your opinion, why are teams or why are, what's the difference between Jabari and Chet? Is it because Jabari's almost a year younger? Or because right now, based off of the numbers, we thought that Jabari was the best shooter. Chet got off to kind of a slow start. He's shooting like 6%, 6% higher from three. Less Chet's volume, like though. Significantly less volume. Yeah. But 46% for a seven-footer, 
that is blocking shots at the rate that he's blocking shots. It just seems like I don't know, like, why is there such a gap between is it SEC versus WCC or is it Jabari's kind of like come out of nowhere in a sense? That's the intrigue because Chet I think it's so the fluidity athletic. athletically. I, I think just watching the form on the jump shot and where Jabari can get it from just about anywhere, like he can create his own shot off the three, he can shoot off the three of the bounce. I, I and, and look, Chet's doing some of that. You're seeing him like shoot the ball in transition and what have you handle the ball in transition a little bit. I, I would say it's the fluidity, fluidity with which he does it that sells me more on him as being a lead NBA shooter. Like I, I think Jabari has the chance to be a guy who's taking eight threes a game and being an elite shooter. I'm not sure people are drafting Chet Holmgren to be launching eight threes a game. and But I could be wrong. Chet's the most unique and difficult guy that I've ever scouted from understanding like what he is going to be in the NBA. And I'm I, I, curious for you, Raphael. I'm inclined to like think that maybe he's we had to do this with Evan Mobley. Like maybe he's more of a forward than he is actually a, a, a traditional NBA center. And you got to think about him that way. Um, but, but yeah, that's, I, I just think people at the end of the day are going to be a little bit more confused with him and less willing to take the risk um, than with these guys that have more obvious paths in the NBA with Jabari and, and, and Jaden Ivey. That's just my guess. Yeah. I mean, I think Chet, I don't know. I think he closes games at the five. So does he start at the five? No, but I think in the closing lineup, he, he is a five. I just really don't see much of a difference and how anybody can be sure over one over, over the other, because I think you can play Chet at the four. If you play him at the four, I think that that's your, your pick and pop guy. He's shown that he can attack closeouts. Um, he's someone that's dangerous in transition as a, a rim runner or as a, a trailer and it's the shot blocking that that uh I, I think that and then i think he's a better passer than jabari and so I, I wonder like is it the age is it because jabari's 18 and, and and chet is a little older is it that year of difference that is closing the gap some is it, is it chet falling down 43 times a game uh you know on the court uh <laughs> you know it's, i mean there's it's he's he's got a funky game. Chet does, and I I think I think, and I, I'm as guilty as anybody. You always kind of want to look at players and then say, okay, he plays like this guy, or this this is this guy is a, a a model for a pattern of success for him. And the only guy that I've heard, and by the way, this would be a very compelling case for him to be the number one pick, is Kevin Garnett. And uh, you know, similar body type, uh, wiry toughness. Um, Kevin Garnett, by the way, didn't stretch the floor anything like Chet Holmgren was doing at the at the same age. So that's actually a, you know a difference, but also a very different game that Kevin Garnett was playing in than the, the NBA game today. Um, if he's Kevin Garnett, then he probably should be the number one pick in the draft. I'm not sure I'm ready to say Jabari Smith or Jaden Ivey or Paolo Boncaro have the ceiling of a Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett's also so unique, such a unique player. I'm not sure who I would compare Kevin Garnett to. Uh, historically in the NBA as well, that it's hard to sort of make that comp. Yeah. Crazy thing is I was watching the Kevin Garnett documentary and as skinny as he was, he was still like listed as 15 to 20 pounds heavier than what Chet is, is right now. So I, I think that 
obviously, you know, seven foot one ninety five is, is not sexy when you when you see the numbers on the screen. And uh, but I, I mean, I think Chet is a very underrated pastor. I don't think he's as good of a pastor as Ben Carroll, but I have him as a better pastor than Jabari. And then on paper, he's a better shooter. On paper, he's a better shot blocker. So well, I, I, I think it's more than just on paper. He's he's an elite shot blocker. Uh, and I, I think that is, is really fair. Well, look, this is a fun debate, one that I think Raphael and will continue to have. One of the reasons that I want to add Raphael as another voice um, is, is the whole idea here is that there's a lot of different ways to view these players and to look at these players and, and hear multiple perspectives. Uh, it is awesome, and I, there'll be a lot of front offices and in the same team that will be having the same sorts of conversations and going back and forth, just like Raphael, Raphael and I did um, right now. Let's just quickly hit on a couple of other things uh, for people that are wondering what else was going on. Um, as far as uh, traded picks, just a couple of more. San Antonio Spurs pick up the Raptors pick. I got to admit that, that that surprised me that the Raptors gave up a first-round pick Top 14 protected. Don't panic, Raptors fans. If you end up in the lottery, which doesn't look likely at this point, then then uh, you know maybe uh, you, you get to you get to keep your pick. But if it's, this ends up in the late teens, early 20s, this is going to San Antonio. Is I, I, it just surprised me a little bit? They also picked up, in fairness, the Pistons' second round pick, which will very likely be the 31st or 32nd pick in, in, in the draft. So they got a very high second round pick which means maybe they're only 10, 12, 13 spots, you know, difference between those picks. But uh, moving off Dragic, Thad Young going to help this team that much? I don't know. I mean, I kind of looked at it as maybe he's someone that is a, a veteran in the locker room that can play spot, spot minutes. It seems like there's a lot of redundancy there. There's a lot of guys that play – Masai likes a certain type of player. It's very, very clear what he likes. Yeah. Another so switchable. That, yep. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I think that he's someone that if he's not playing, I think, I mean, obviously he wanted to play more in San Antonio, but he just seems like more so of a, a veteran mentor there. And they're making a push for the playoffs and he could be valuable in, in, in the playoff run. But, it didn't make a lot of sense to me when I first saw it. I thought like, you know, what, what's going on here? But Masai's one of the guys that, you know, he, he does something, you kind of just kind of agree with it because he, he, he doesn't miss often. He doesn't. Indiana Pacers get the Cavs pick. We talked about that for Karis Levert. Cavs and Raptors, who were the th- had the third and fourth pick in the draft in 2021, add their lottery picks. Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes. Now they're like pushing in their chips uh, all in on, on playoffs. I mean, pretty impressive turnaround for both of those teams right now. Did you like the Levert deal for Cleveland or should they have been patient and kept this pick and kept, keep rebuilding young? Yeah, I like the Levert deal. And, you know, with Levert, it's always a matter of can he stay healthy? I mean, he's you know the foot injuries and then he had the, the situation last year but i like it i like the fact that they're looking to win now they needed some size in the backcourt needed some scoring <laughs> in the backcourt and someone with some another player with some creativity that can create his own shot and that's what lavert does so i like the move for the Cavs, and i think 
I mean, they're still not getting the attention. You can say the same thing for the Raptors. They're still not getting the attention that they deserve for having such a, a good year. All the focus has been on the Ben Simmons trade, the Lakers and, and Westbrook, and then the last week or so with, with the Nets. But there's been some pretty good young teams and rookies that are making impact. I mean, how often do you see two guys that are selected that high making major impacts on teams that are going to the playoffs as rookies. So um, I actually like it with the Cavs. All right. We're going to end with the Lakers. Uh, and, and there's a draft angle to this, which is the Lakers don't own their pick this year. And depending on where they finish, uh, it goes to either the Pelicans or the Memphis Grizzlies. And they're literally straddling that line right now. Right now, if you look at 538s, playoff projections and whatever, it looks like the Lakers are going to have the 10th pick in the draft. That may be a shock to Lakers fans right now, 10th pick in the draft. And if that's the case, then it goes to New Orleans. New Orleans owns this pick one through 10. If it's 11 through 30, it goes to Memphis, making their rich richer, uh, given what Memphis seems to be doing. And not even Zaire Williams is starting to play well. And I'm like, man, maybe Memphis just isn't going to miss, miss on anybody right now. So my first question is, who do you think ends up with this pick? Because this is ultimately your judge on the Lakers, right? Uh, does this team keep imploding? They had their worst loss of the season against the Blazers team that looked like a G League team that they were rolling out, rolling out there against, uh, against the Lakers. Do they turn things around? They don't make a trade deadline deal. I think there's a lot of surprise uh, that they they didn't ultimately either move Russell Westbrook. There wasn't a lot of options for it, but you know John Wall in in Houston seemed like one, uh, or that they made some sort of other ancillary deal that that at least brought in somebody else, some new blood to this team. Did the Lakers end up? on the same trajectory that they seem to be on now, or do they turn it around and end up being a playoff team? That's a good question. Now, if it's now, what point do they keep the pick? I thought they it was don't. They, they 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 don't they don't have it. They don't have the pick this year. Lakers do not own at all. Pick. So even it was there's no protections on it at all. Uh, I, I'm looking right here. Grizzlies on the Lakers first rounder, eleven to thirty. And I thought if it was see. within the top ten, they keep it. Uh, Pelicans on the Lakers first rounder, one through ten. Oh, so they they, they just don't have it. This is all part of the Anthony Davis deal. If you're wondering what yeah. happened, and this this is this is a deal that uh, I picked that I think had some protections on it, but doesn't anymore. Wow. So yeah, they. You know, one hand, you don't want to bet against LeBron and on team not making the playoffs, but this team, I just, I mean, unless Kendrick Nunn comes back and he's the difference maker. I, I just wow. don't. Kendrick Nunn. We're 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 counting yeah. on Kendrick Nunn right now. Okay. That's, That's telling. I mean, yeah, I think it's a situation where, on one hand, the only way that I think they could turn around, which is not going to happen, is if they just say, we're going to run things through Westbrook and let him play the way that he's used to playing. That may help them, but as long as Westbrook is not playing the way that he's used to playing, then he's not going to be a factor. And then there's going to be a distraction every single night about why didn't he close the game, about his minutes fluctuating. So is, is there an angle, Raphael, where you bring him off the bench and almost like a, the way Utah uses Jordan Clarkson or something like that, 
and actually stagger those minutes with LeBron and, and Davis, who both probably need need some rest and need to be thinking about their minute load anyway. So you have those moments where Westbrook is in the game doing what Westbrook does, along with sort of the supporting cast of the Lakers. Um, but, you know, during the key times at starts of games, at end of games, this is probably going to be the LeBron and Anthony Davis show. Um, is that is that a way to, to to stagger it out in a way that works for the Lakers? Yeah, definitely. I think it makes the most sense. But then every time he's not in the game in the fourth quarter and they lose, that's going to be the question. It's almost like with Carmelo in Oklahoma City. Jerry and Grant was the better player. Jeremy was the better player. But Billy Donovan was putting Melo out there and he was just getting torched in the pick and roll. But because of Melo's name at the time, he was given the benefit of the doubt. And so I think that it does make sense to stagger the minutes. You can even start Westbrook just to you know, make sure that it's not an issue by him being a six-man, stagger the minutes, let him run with the second unit. I think they, the second unit would be good, but it's just a matter of in the fourth quarter and it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a big media situation regardless. Every time they lose, if he's in, if he's not in, if he's in and they lose and he doesn't shoot a shot or he misses a three, then it's going to be, you need to take him out. If he's not in and, and you lose, then it's, why isn't Westbrook in the game? So, I mean, just imagine how crazy they look now when they didn't want to give up Horton Tucker for Kyle Lowry last year. They didn't want to include him in any package deals. So, and I even thought the, the Lakers roster last year was better than it is this year. It'll be really interesting. And, and then one factor that we're not talking about now is that there will be some players who are going to be bought out of their contracts. Korn Dragic most likely will be. Dennis Schroeder got traded from Boston to Houston. Uh, likely a buyout there. I don't think Houston really probably has has plans for him you know it could be wrong there could be other players that are bought out and that maybe the lakers are going to get lucky uh on uh, that way and be able to bring in a player um that wants to play with lebron and anthony davis and and they're going to add to their roster that way i'm sure that's what the lakers are thinking now and whether whether that materializes or not there's a lot of talk that Dragic is going to dallas um and that's where that's where he's going to be you know schroeder with uh, Dinwiddie on the roster, does this Dragic go to Dallas now? Yeah, I mean that that'll be really interesting. I mean that's just the you know the rumor and and the connection between Dragic and Doncic is is the you know the the connection there. Uh, it'll be really interesting. Schroeder is another guy who actually played for the Lakers. Do they does he agree to come back? Does he want to come back? Do they want him back? Uh, it, you know, there's a lot of interesting things that could do this. I I I I'm a believer in LeBron, uh, and, and so I'm going to say that the Grizzlies end up with this pick, uh, and that Lakers at least make the play-in tournament. Uh, is is where I'm gonna I'm gonna stay. I I, I I'm not bullish about their NBA title chances by any stretch of the imagination right now, uh, and, uh, and 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 in fact, Phoenix made a couple of kind of sneaky small rotation moves that I actually think strengthened already the best team um, in, in the league. Uh, so I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Grizzlies end up with this pick and then I'm going to probably hate on the Pelicans a little bit for CJ McCollum 
no draft picks, panic move, in my in my opinion. Um, though you're a CJ guy, so maybe you think the Pelicans nailed that pick, nailed that trade. I mean, I, I get it. I, I get why they did it, and um, I don't know if they would have needed any any younger guys. If if all the rumblings are true about maybe Zion not being happy there, I think you have to try to try to at least bring some type of culture of winning. I don't know how good they'll be defensively with Graham and, and CJ in, in the backcourt. You still have a small backcourt there. But if you're Memphis and you have three first-round picks, you can just swing for the fences. And how crazy would it be if Memphis ends up with this top seven pick and you can draft A.J. Griffin or Shaden Sharp or – you can literally just stockpile. Then you can even package those guys for another player, maybe a Bradley Bill. It's, I mean, it's very, there's a lot of weapons. You know, it, it's funny because I think I, I talked about it with you on a podcast. I, I'm certain it was you. We thought that the Hawks had all this, this depth and this talent and all these trade pieces that would help them land a big star now they seem like they're back to where they were at this time last year but now memphis seems like the team that has the assets and the young players and the your cornerstones where they can add a star and i mean if you're the wizards you may have to wonder like can we work something out with the grizzlies yeah and if you're the grizzlies you have to ask yourself do we want to do that the chemistry on this team is excellent. The the cap room and space that they have right now, you know, is there is there another way? I mean, we always sort of talk about you got to pair two superstars or three together. Will Memphis try a different path here uh, with surrounding Jaw with a very deep and talented roster? Uh, and and hope that the sort of collective make makes that second or third you know big big star. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see whether they decide to go that way because we've seen that when it works, it's great. When it doesn't work, it can kind of destroy your team and destroy your future. And uh, you know the odds are iffy on this. Yeah, I'm thinking that that maybe the Nets may have ended this whole big three era between the Nets and the Lakers. You had two teams in big markets, three guys making probably 30 million each, one injury to one of the guys, and you're filling out the roster with back-end rotation players and young guys, and now you're, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, well, you see this in Nets and also with L.A., right, with the Lakers. Yeah. So, um, you know, both of these are your poster children for why this might not always be a good idea. Um, now the Lakers are going to fans are going to say we already won a title. So, um, you know, it was a good idea, but, um, let, let's see how they feel about this long-term. Okay. He's Raphael Barlow. And if you're still listening, go over to nbabigboard.com, subscribe today, and you're going to get Raphael Barlow's first post for nbabigboard.com in your inbox on Monday morning. And he's going to be a regular contributor. He's going to have video elements that are coming in um, all the time. I couldn't be more excited to have him join not just our, our podcast show, but also over at the newsletter, nbabigboard.com. Raphael, thanks so much. And uh, let's do this again next week. And uh, you and I, let's compare our mock drafts. Sounds 
Sound, sounds good to me. Once again, we both got new you. mocks coming, so let's let's do it. Yeah, yep. So once again, thank you for the opportunity. Like you said, the the um, just the reviews or the the comments on Twitter have been really really good, and so I'm I'm just thankful for this opportunity and and um, just looking forward to it. All right, you're listening to NBA Big Board. Aloha.